Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs from Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, around the corner technology, and I'm talking today with Graham Movent of VP Muse or ChooseMuse.com, M-U-S-E. How you doing, Graham? I'm well. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time to do the interview. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the products you guys have. Uh, can you tell listeners uh, what it is that you guys make? Right. So um, I'm with a company called Interaxon. We make a, a device called the Muse Brain Sensing Headband, and what it is is it's a it's a wireless um, wearable EEG technology. Uh, it's not maybe the first to come around, but it's certainly the first research grade, clinical grade one um, that has reached the mass market uh, at the scale that that uh, Muse has. And what does the headband do when you put it on? So it can do a number of things. Uh, you can use Muse for anything that you would use an EEG system for. Uh, one of the big subsets of, of the use of EEG in uh, clinical and in consumer settings is for something called neurofeedback. Uh, you can go to a psychologist clinic, or you can you know you can go to a, a therapy clinic at, <clears throat> at a variety of locations throughout the U.S. or around the world for a treatment with something called neurofeedback. And what that is is taking brain signals um, and uh, translating them into a meaningful signal that can then be used to to, to help teach people how to self regulate in a variety of ways. So Muse takes that and makes that um, accessible to consumers, and the core application helps you learn how to meditate through a form of neurofeedback. So there are a lot of people out there who want to learn mindfulness and meditation, right. but they really struggle to get started and they struggle to develop a habit, and Muse helps them to develop that habit by giving them feedback on how they're doing at meditation. Yeah, let's we'll talk about meditation in just a second. Um, you said this is the first clinical strength or medical grade headband what makes it that and why is it uh why does it work better than other ones so, so for a number of years um well for, for pretty much the entire history of um eeg uh, and of um, that kind of brain sensing in, in humans uh, the the electrode the electrodes were um, wet or um, sticky kind of gel a highly conductive gel or a metal electrode on the skin um, that was then connected by a saline solution or some sort of salt bridge to the, to the scalp. <clears throat> and it really wasn't very easy to get a dry electrode that you could take on and, or you could put on and take off easily and then you know, reuse on a regular basis without a whole lot of scrubbing and setup time. So one of, the thing, one of the major innovations of the last 15 years has been the advent of dry electrode technology of a quality that um, is both um, very high signal quality, very high connection quality to the, to the skin, and um, reliably reusable and, and robust to, to continued and, um, and regular use. The other thing that's made that possible has been uh, the advent of uh, the smartphone. So the processing technology in phones right now is, is so substantial uh, that you can do a lot of things that you just couldn't do 10 years ago, uh, even with computers, um, in processing EEG in real time and making the signal meaningful to users. So it's a combination of a number of different technologies, the, the cost of electronics coming down, the quality of, of dry electro technology going up, um, the quality of polymer technology increasing, and uh, the increase in the power of mobile computing.
computing devices and smartphones and tablets. Okay. Very good. So, yeah, let's talk about meditation. So what, when people meditate, and I'm sure you've probably looked at, you know, people that have been doing it for 30 years and monks and all that stuff, what, what happens to their brain waves? Like what signals you to know that someone's meditating and they're achieving, you know, a state of enlightenment or a mindfulness or whatever it is? Right. It's a great and complex question. And there's a whole field of study in neuroscience around um, the neuroscience of mindfulness and contemplative practice. So, you know, we can only scratch the surface of it during this conversation. But to give you an idea, about 15 or 20 years ago, people started looking into this in a significant way. Um, and there are some relatively well-known scientists out there. Uh, Richie Davidson is one of them. Jeff Brewer is another um, who started digging into what it is that makes a meditator's brain different. So to get an idea of, you know, uh, a, medita- a meditative brain, a brain in a meditative state, and the long-term changes associated with meditation, um, what they did was they started looking at people who were real expert meditators, uh, Buddhist monks, Tibetan Buddhist monks, who, you know, will often meditate for two or four hours a day, every day for 30 or 40 or 50 years. Yeah. And that gives you a, a pretty substantive difference between a non-meditator and a real expert meditator. And the, the differences were very marked, not only in cognitive performance but self in, and in self-regulation, but um, in aspects of brain waves and even in brain anatomy, things were seen to be pretty substantively different. So by training yourself to meditate, you learn how to, um, how to change, your brain, um, change your brain state, and that eventually translates through regular practice into um, traits of the brain. Um, so you go from you know, this, this regular meditation practice to a different brain through neuroplastic effects. Um, that's, it's, it looks very different for beginners. So for uh, beginner meditators, it's really, really hard to get even the basics of meditation. So, you know, enlightenment is one thing, um, and advanced meditation is another, but even the very basic stuff, like learning how to focus on your breathing and stay focused for minutes at a time, uh, is one of the first essential skills. Um, learning to control your attention is one of the first essential skills in learning how to meditate in more advanced forms like open monitoring or mindfulness or compassion meditation. And so we try to really solve that, that initial barrier with Muse to adopting meditation. Meditation is really hard to stick with. It's hard to develop a habit, and it's hard to know what you're doing if you don't have you know, direct and regular access to an experienced meditation teacher. So what we try to do is, uh, through the app and the, and, the, and the headband, to teach you how to, how to control your focus of attention. Um, and we gamify that, and we make it into an engaging user experience that makes you want to keep coming back so that you learn the basics of meditation and you can move on to more advanced kinds of practices on your own or uh, with a meditation teacher or in a group. Uh, and we'll be working on incorporating some of those other forms of meditation into future versions of the app. Yeah, so what are some of the early benefits of meditation, and um, what are then some of the biggest challenges people have that uh, the headband helps them solve? Right, um, great question. So the, the, uh, the benefits of meditation are pretty, are pretty pronounced, and one of the most interesting things about them is that uh, it's not like there's a there's a rapid transition. The more you meditate, the more difference, uh, the more improvement you see, um, or the more regularly you meditate. So people can start with even only a few minutes a day. And what patients um, or what what users um, report is that uh, is an improvement in ability to focus. Um, some of them find that you know if they struggle to get to sleep at night because their mind is racing, uh, they they see a significant improvement. They sleep a little bit better. They're they report that they're um, they're a little bit more capable at work of staying focused or at school. Um, 
And then there are all kinds of um, really interesting studies on the use of mindfulness in schools, for example, uh, or universities to help students perform better and to self-regulate um, not just not just attention but emotions as well. Um, so people find that they cope better generally with the everyday stresses of life um, and with even more serious stresses like uh, chronic illness or uh, or you know medical treatments and, uh, and things like that. Hmm. So how long would it take someone <clears throat> unassisted or what's the success rate? And then with your device, how much better and easier and faster does it get to get to uh, at least early stage goals? I, I'd say it's, it's uh, it really depends on the individual. Most people who try, uh, start, try to start meditating don't stick with it. And that's the unfortunate reality. It's hard and it's especially hard to do without a teacher or if you don't have a lot of social support from a meditation community around you. So what we're trying to do is not make meditation easy, but substantively easier or better. We're making, we're trying to make it a little bit more approachable so that you can develop a habit and uh, on your own, you can know whether you're doing it right or wrong and get that instantaneous feedback and keep track of your practice in a way that allows you to develop a habit. So, you know, there's, if, if you can stick with something, if you can take something up and stick with it you, and you don't need any help with, um, uh, with developing habits, you probably don't, you, you can probably learn to meditate on your own or using an app like Headspace. For an awful lot of people, though, sticking with that habit uh, without any feedback, being inside your own head and trying to understand the processes of thought uh, that you're encountering uh, and the feelings that you encounter when you try to learn to meditate on your own uh, can be really tricky. And that's where we try to take the guesswork out, guesswork out of it at the early stages. So what's what's it like when um, someone uses your headband and your app, you know, normal meditation session versus one with this and the feedback, like what feedback will they see? What kind of adjustments do they make? Yeah, that's a really good question. In fact, users can download uh, our app and try uh, an example uh, of what the, the kind of feedback they'll receive even without the headband. So um, the app takes you into uh, an experience around the basics of how, of how to fit it, how to use a, a brain sensing headband, how to get it on your head right, um, how to make sure that the signal quality is there. And then it takes you into uh, a basic calibration and from that into uh, a breathing-focused meditation. So you're instructed, you're taught how to focus on your breath um, through first counting the breath and then focusing on the sensation of breath. And these are standard practices in teaching meditation. Um, and then what it does beyond that is it takes your brain state as measured by the EEG um, or your brain waves, if you will, uh, and it translates that into a measure of mind-wandering versus focused attention. So... When you're in the mind, when you're in a mind wandering state, you start to hear weather. You'll hear, and it depends on the environment you're in, but you'll hear, um, you know, if you're in a rainforest environment, we have a number of different environments. You'll hear uh, heavy rain, and you'll hear thunder crashing, and um, you know it'll be a, it'll be sort of a torrential downpour with wind and rain. And and then as you bring your mind back to a focused attention state, uh, you'll calm the weather, you'll control the environment, so it gives you that audio, auditory feedback. In, in an engaging way, it's not just like a simple auditory feedback, but it's an auditory virtual environment that teaches you how to control your focus uh, by controlling uh, by controlling the weather. Hmm. And beyond that, it goes into uh, giving you uh, measured updates, or rather, measured measured lookbacks on you know how you did in the past, how you did in the past week, in the past month. Um, you can look at previous sessions. You can keep you know keeping score is a controversial idea in meditation. But it's certainly not. Uh, it certainly motivates a lot of individuals. So just keeping score against yourself to try and up your number of minutes per day, to try and up the, the measure of the amount of time you spend 
um, in that focused attention state versus out of it. Uh, these are kind of the kinds of tools that people can can use to help motivate themselves to keep with the practice and, and to become better at meditating. So do you, do you have people that saying, dude, I totally crushed it and I meditated for 10 minutes today, that kind of thing? Yeah, you, you, you absolutely do. You absolutely do. <laughs> you know, to, people motivate themselves in different ways. And that's, a, that's one of the most interesting sort of tensions in what we do. Um, and to some extent, what other meditation apps do um, and traditional approaches to meditation. So, you know, you'll, uh, one of the most important things you learn uh, when you start, you start to learn uh, meditation and mindfulness is non-judgment. Uh, and that is, you know, in some respects at odds with uh, competition and scorekeeping. And, and so there's, there's really, you, you can get dichotomies within the community and among, or even among the user base that, um, that we see in our user base. Uh, some people are really, really motivated by competing against, you know, members of their family or their friends. Uh, some people are really competed by, are motivated by competing against uh, against themselves, and some people don't want to compete at all, and that's fine too. And you know, there's no right way to learn meditation. There are many different doors into the into the, the same room, essentially. Hmm. <clears throat> so, what's some of the anecdotal comments from your users on what <clears throat> on what they experience with it? What what do they see as the benefits to them? We see, uh, we hear from a lot of users that it's really changed. It's really helped them establish a practice and, and change their life in, in positive ways. So everything from, um, you know, basic improvements in, in their ability to regulate their emotions and recognize when their emotions are driving them and, um, and manage stress that way to substantial improvements in performance at work and, and their ability to manage chronic pain. The other thing that we do is we, we engage very, very heavily in a lot of research. So we've, we've, we've got some ongoing research projects that have already produced some papers um, from studies with the University of Toronto, um, from studies with the Mayo Clinic, from uh, work with MIT and UVic on not just meditation, but different aspects of this, um, of, of the use of Muse. Uh, but the, the, the sort, of, sort of core meditation um, teaching app um, that, that most of our users are, are primarily engaging with um, as their way of engaging with Muse is uh, is showing some pretty positive early results in uh, in the ongoing research we're doing. Everything from helping pe- helping professionals manage stress to helping oncology patients at at the Mayo Clinic um, to improve their quality of life while they're undergoing treatment. Mm. Okay. What about in um, in a technical sense? What's happening? Are there different brain waves that are you know uh, taking over or increasing or decreasing? You know, maybe talk about like the technical side of it for a second. Yeah, um, it's a it's a really really interesting question. I can't go into too much detail on it, um, in, in part because some of it's trade secrets, but also um, because a lot of the stuff that we're doing is non traditional um, neurofeedback. So the traditional way of looking at, um, at at brainwave reading devices and especially real time neurofeedback has been um, to to look at the five major uh, frequency bands, uh, you know, from from delta through gamma and uh, to try and to try and upregulate or downregulate those through um, reward learning, and that's that's been very effective in the past. There's as a result of the the uh, improvements in signal quality and in our understanding of EEG, we can go a little bit beyond that now, uh, and we can look at second and third order effects. So things like EEG coordinates and coherence, um, uh, self similarity of of um, the EEG structure on different time scales. And these are very, very powerful techniques for, um, for looking at, at slightly more complex processes underlying the 
energy in the brain. Um, and when we dig into those, what we see is that, um, you know, you can do, uh, you can, with just a little bit of data from an individual, um, you can get a lot of insight into what the baseline um, is for that individual, uh, given a certain state of their brain. Um, and then you can do machine learning on that. And then the more sessions they do, the better the system can get at categorizing brain states between active, mind-wandering, uh, relaxed, focused. Uh, and, you know, you can... Uh, you could potentially apply. I mean, you could apply Muse to a lot of different things that, that neurofeedback has been used in the uh, for in the past, and many people do. Uh, what we try to do is really push the envelope on uh, the kinds of phenomena that we're reading uh, in the brain, and there are, and, it, and it even goes beyond. Uh, it even goes beyond the brainwave stuff. So, you know, in some of our newer models, we have accelerometers and we can measure head movement. From that, we can get breathing rate and um, heart rate out of the out of the headband. Hmm. Uh, and that allows us to do some really interesting things with resting heart rate and uh, and even posture, teaching posture through um, wearing a headband. Um, and all of those are important elements of, of teaching meditation. Um, so you know there are, there's uh, there are a variety of inputs, and there are some advanced signal processing techniques that have really I think uh, that we do a lot of research in, in house, and we collaborate with a lot of people who are doing research out there in, in academia and, and throughout the world and in, in the neurotech community um, that really have helped push things along to another level at, um, at this point. Well, tell me some of the other stuff besides meditation, you know, helping improve your focus and concentration. You know, tell me about some of the other things that you can tell me about that are exciting to you. You know, can you affect your heart rate, slow it down? I mean, any other type of stuff, any superpowers? I mean, what, what else can this do? So, you know, one of the, um, one of the coolest things about, about making an open platform technology like Muse, um, we have a free SDK for developers, for nonprofit developers, um, on our website. And that has a series of research tools that anyone can download and use with their Muse. Uh, and it's been used for things, um, outside of meditation, like measuring and monitoring vigilance in, um, pilots or in even people sitting at a, at a desk. Um, and that's, you know, people like, uh, organizations like MIT and NASA have, are, are using Muse extensively, uh, to, to try and measure in their human factors research to try and measure, um, vigilance and performance in, in people under tremendously high stress environments. Um, there are, uh, organizations like the IBM Watson Research Center that are, that are digging into, um, what they can use Muse for with eyes open. So, you know, watching different kinds of videos, can you use uh, naive, unsupervised machine learning to infer what kind of content someone is watching based on their brainwaves? And it turns out that they can actually do that. Um, because Muse is a head-worn, uh, very, very lightweight device, it's used by a lot of uh, it's used by a lot of VR artists for creating interesting, interesting interactive experiences. So there are meditation VR experiences, and there are other brain-controlled VR experiences that are coming along now. Um, one of the most interesting ones is on our research website by uh, a group at, at, at MIT Media Lab led by uh, Judith Lamoris, and they won a Fast Company Innovation by Design Award. Uh, there are there's the, you, there's using Muse for things like evoked potential research in in neuroscience. It's um, Muse is now used by a lot of neuroscience labs. More than more than two hundred around the world are wow. are collecting data from undergrads and even in classrooms, so they can take EEG out of the lab. And teach right in the classroom. Um, you can download a free app for Android with Muse called EEG 101. That's that's used in a number of universities in Canada, and we'll hopefully be expanding that to the U.S. to teach undergraduates 
about brainwaves and, and what it tells you about the brain, what you can infer. So there are a variety of applications outside of the core meditation experience that really make it a compelling platform and, and, and keep us motivated here in the, um, in the company to, to keep building awesome tools for, uh, for, for hackers and educators and scientists and developers to use. Have you had any application where two people are going to be interacting and they both agree to wear the brain headband and it lets each of them know about the other's brain waves so they can kind of coordinate? I mean, is there any like group, uh, training involved in this where let's say you want to, you know, you just want to literally like get on someone's what on their level and connect with them more, anything like that? Yeah, there, there have been some awesome. So that's a, that's a, a, a category of research or of brain research called hyperscanning. So that's multiple individuals simultaneously and trying to make an interactive experience out of that so that you can measure, you know, whether or not people are synchronizing. Um, that was actually presented just this week at the Cognitive Neuroscience Society um, in San Francisco. Uh, we've had a couple of installations that have been traveling around North America and Europe doing exactly that. And we'll be presenting one at uh, Singularity University Berlin next month. Um, if you, uh, if you go have a look on our, on our website, on our research website, there's a, there's a paper, um, novel speed of learning effects in neurofeedback in which, uh, we took 20 people at a time in, co- in collaboration with, um, some professors at the University of Toronto, uh, 20 people at a time into, uh, a, a, a geodesic dome with projections all over the dome, um, that were interactive and you know, there was sound and light and individuals would learn to control, to work in groups to control the lights and sound, um, in really compelling ways. So you'd have up to 20 people at a time. And that, that actually, because we were able to collect so much data so fast, that was, um, what we think one of the, one of the most interesting papers to come along in neuroscience in a while. Um, you know, we ran 600 people through the experiment in 12 hours oh, wow. um, in a, in an overnight art exhibit, which was, which was really cool and compelling. And there, there'll be more and more of that in the future. Because it's becoming easier and easier to do that, we're actually we have some partners who've developed software that that supports Muse um, in San Francisco, who've shared it with the entire community to be able to build exhibits on EEG for science centers where people can walk around with an EEG on their heads and then interact with different exhibits and all kinds of things like that. That's cool. Yeah. Any any other applications that you find the most amazing, or maybe even scary or exciting to you? Like what? You know, what's like the top one or two that you just you just think are incredible, whether they're ready or not, or in process? So there's there's um yeah there are a lot. Um, the, one of the fundamental distinctions in brain computer interface uh, technology is between uh, active and passive or reactive uh, brain computer interfaces. So uh, you know when you talk to people who are working on controlling things with their mind. Um, what they're talking about is an active brain-computer interface where you are consciously trying to learn how to control something with a uh, with an EEG device um, or with another kind of brain um, you know brain sensing device. Um, it's very hard to do that well. Um, it's been you know, there's been a constant um, sort of slow development in that space to the point where now um, paraplegics can drive their wheelchairs with EEG, but there's an intensive amount of research and, and learning and training involved. Um, and it's much, much harder to do um, in a relatively short time frame to build an experience that's really engaging for people. So one of the things that we focused on most is um, passive and reactive brain-computer interfaces. And there are some really compelling ideas for how that would integrate into, um, say, virtual reality, where you know if you had an EEG, if you had an EEG um, system built into a virtual reality headset, you could have the environment adapt 
and learn the um, the user's brain responses to environmental stimuli um, in a way that they didn't even have to actively participate, and it could just optimize itself to their own to their uh, to their particular brains. Uh, some of the other really cool things are that you know there are there are there are medical applications of EEG and healthcare applications of EEG that are very, very expensive um, right now that could come down in cost by like two orders of magnitude and make them much, much more widely available. So we have partners up here in um, up here in Toronto where we are who work on uh, a related technology for monitoring seizures in epilepsy continuously in, uh, in a way that uh, you know, can allow them to, to, to potentially leave the hospital or not have to spend weeks or days or weeks in the hospital at a time. Uh, one of the things that I find most compelling is the potential for through continued monitoring, regular monitoring of EEG and storing of your individual data, either on your phone or in the cloud, that we could build a brain model for you that would then predict um, whether or not you are um, likely to suffer from uh, a debil- debilitating brain disease or from psychiatric or, or mental illness uh, long before you start to exhibit symptoms and maybe get you treatment earlier. Um, and intervene at a, in time to, to make a real difference. So those are the kinds of things that really excite us in, at Muse and uh, the potential for where the technology could go. What inspired you to work in this area? I mean, wh- why do you continue to work in it? I guess because it's amazing all the things that are happening, but what, what got you into it in the first place? Um, so I got into neuroscience uh, as a researcher. I, I have only been outside of the research community for a couple of years, for three years now, um, like in the, the academic research community. Uh I originally got into it because I used to get terrible migraines and I had all kinds of weird um, auras and visual hallucinations associated with that. And Mm. that just sort of motivated me to wonder, like I started to wonder in high school, um, you know, what's going on in my brain that this is happening. And that continued to motivate me all through university. And, uh, and now, now that I'm, you know, out in the, uh, I've been working in neuroscience for the better part of 20 years. uh, And now that I'm out in the, uh, in the field uh, working in, in a way that, like, uh, I can actually influence the direction of the technology. It's uh, it's really exciting, and so things just go keep going faster and faster for you know, innovation and uh, in the kind of space that we're in. So it's a uh, it's continuously motivating excitement. Very cool. Uh, yeah, just a couple more questions. Um, I don't know where I saw it, but I guess I saw an article where they studied the brains of people that um, you know were religious or were praying. Have you ever seen Muse used by, um, you know, for an application like that? Um, you, you know, one of the most interesting things about, about prayer and about the, uh, the commonalities between religions around the world is that um, in, in many respects, prayer is a form of meditation for a lot of people. Um, mm. it, if you look at the work that's been done by um, the Benson Henry Institute at Harvard, uh, they've shown some remarkable effects for things like... Um, uh, for, for anything that it, that uh, stimulates what the, what's called the relaxation response, so you've heard of the fight or flight response. Right. Um, the relaxation response is sort of like the uh, the antithesis of that, where if you uh, actively relax through stretching or meditation or prayer for you know between about ten and twenty minutes, um, you pass this threshold where your heart, your blood pressure drops, your heart rate drops, um, and you get into a very different uh, parasympathetic state, uh, and it's it's generally it's very healthy to get into that state, especially if you're under a lot of stress, because uh, it it you know boosts your immune system and um, it allows a lot of important critical body systems to to rest and rejuvenate. Uh, and and they um, 
at Harvard where they developed this technique, they encourage people who are more comfortable with prayer to pray actively for the same amount of time that would be required to, to initiate that response. Hmm. So, um, so you know, I think I, when I think of when I think of yoga or tai chi or even prayer, I think of them as um, different forms of active meditation or moving meditation. You know, maybe not so much power yoga, but a lot of the forms of yoga have a very meditative element to them. Um, if you want to have a look at some of the cool projects that we've done related to um, uh, related to uh, the measurement of uh, brain states in uh, these very, very active meditators, these kinds of religious meditators in, in Buddhist monasteries in, in Nepal. Right. I'd be happy to send you a couple of videos on that, and um, so you can you can have a look. Yeah, that'd be great. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. So yeah, la- last question or two. What's what's the future of your work for 2017, and then you know what's your guess in the next three to five years on what's what's going to happen, what's possible? Um, that's a great question. I think, uh, so for us in 2017, uh, we have a new product coming out near the end of 2017 with, in partnership with Smith Optics, uh, where we've taken the, the core Muse technology, uh, and we've built it into a pair of sunglasses. Uh, and so that, what that means is that, uh, it's going to be oriented toward athletes and, um, mental performance and focus in sports. Uh, we think it's, it's a pretty exciting application of the technology, um, that will make it a little bit more mainstream for people who might have been reticent to put on a, a a headband before um, to squeeze this kind of stuff into into a pair of sunglasses is uh, is a big change, uh, and we think it'll reach more people. Uh, beyond that, uh, you know, we'll be working on new updates to the hardware. Uh, we'll con- we continuously improve our software and continue to build uh, uh, our database on uh, you know different states uh, measurable in EEG and uh, different kinds of like brainwave phenomena. So we uh, we're constantly pushing out in all kinds of directions. Uh, where I think where I think the technology will con- a lot of forms of technology will converge uh, is that you know as as VR headsets and augmented reality and head worn technology in general converge around a few form factors that are more stylish than um, like techno- technological looking, uh, we'll start to see everything coalesce around the eyeglass form factor and maybe around hats or or something else. So in a sense, wearables will probably disappear into things that people were going to wear any- anyway. Mm. Um, and, and we're certainly preparing for that future. Um, so we want to we want to make sure that we can provide um, continuously improving experiences for users of our technology and um, and our platform, so that they can integrate with other head worn technologies as well. All right, all right, very good. So, what's the best way for listeners to either you know buy the Muse headband or at least find out more, learn more about the company and, and the possible uses where they could use it in their own lives? Yeah, I'd, I'd encourage people to visit our website, um, check out what, what, what we have on our research page. Um, there are, there's a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, if you have software developers who like to play around with uh, with new and interesting forms of data uh, and new and interesting technologies, our, our research toolkit and our uh, software developer kit are free for nonprofits. Um, there are some really cool third-party technologies on there, and uh, if they want to pick up the Muse, uh, they can find it on our website. And I think... Um, is it still on sale? No, the end of the end of uh, uh, the end of winter sale is over, but there'll probably be an Easter sale depending on when your podcast is. Okay, well, very good, Graham. This is really interesting. Um, you know, I appreciate you being on the podcast. It's been uh, you know very interesting. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. I'll look forward to to uh, checking out your podcasts in the future too. Yeah.
You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, 